as we read it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. You can find that on page 992. Hear the word of God. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, often it happens that we do wonderful things so often that we forget how amazing it is that we can do them. And then a trip to a third world country where a person can see what poverty looks like or a visit in the hospital or hardships in our own lives quickly teach us how blessed we are when we have a safe place to live or when we have enough to eat each day and even the opportunity to go to a grocery store and have food on on the shelves. When we have the strength to just walk outside on our own strength. And if we are ignorant about how blessed we are physically, we are often even more ignorant about how blessed we are spiritually. Although this blindness shows itself in many ways, it is probably seen most clearly when we show resistance to the idea of worshiping God together with other believers on the day of rest. When we ask the question, do do I have to go to church? Or when we argue that it is actually too much bother to worship the Lord today, you know, because of the kids or because of the travel, we're tired often just after we've made it as difficult as possible. Or when we choose to have an extra three hours of a 168-hour week, barely 2%, an extra three hours of quiet family time at the lake, rather than celebrate the glorious inheritance of the saints in Jesus Christ. And when we do this, while brothers and sisters in the world are being persecuted and killed for assembling together, we may show, we may be showing that we don't really understand what the church is and what a privilege it is to be an active, living member of it. And when a person has a serious misunderstanding of the nature of the church, it will lead him or her to an impoverished legalism that stifles our joy and cheapens the reality of Christ's work. Paul will talk about this in the the verses uh, coming, the first verses of chapter 4. 
In the previous chapter, Paul has written about the different roles and responsibilities in the church and everything that he has said is based on what God has revealed about who we are, about what the church is. As he reveals that in our text today, the Lord knows that we will not properly apply the how to behave instruction that the Holy Spirit gives unless we first know, understand, and embrace what the church is. As men and women and fathers and mothers, we also need to be very clear what the church is. Because then our children and our colleagues can know the reason why we do the things we do and why we want to do them. Why we go out of our way to do them. If someone thinks that the church is nothing more than a building that Christians are forced to sit in every Sunday, well then Paul's rules about behavior in the church can sound oppressive. And God can appear to be needy and dependent on our grace to Him. However, if we teach our children if we tell others around us the truth about what the church is, that it is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the glorious gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, then Paul's instructions about our roles and our responsibilities and how to behave, that is actually a description of the glorious transformation of our lives in Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit describes the church and her confession in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 16, he is describing our reality. He is describing us, our life, who we are. We are a part of the celebration of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we have in Christ. And we love to glorify God by the grace of God and receive our glorious inheritance with joy. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, the church of the living God is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We will see our privilege to place in Christ and secondly, our profound confession of Christ. When God joins us to his covenant and congregation, we become a part of the body of Christ Jesus, he who bought us with his precious blood. In his previous letter written to the same church in Ephesus, Paul had already described our new reality in the church with a, a vivid description, filled with excitement and joy. You read Ephesians 1 and, and you're you could see he's stumbling over himself to, to get it all in, all the blessings we have. The Holy Spirit allows us to see that the church is much more than, than just this church building. And it is more than just a group of people with a similar worldview. But as congregation, as the Emmanuel congregation, we are a part of the spiritual work of God since the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, with a very 
important responsibility and place in God's plan. The Holy Spirit calls the church in verse 15. He calls the church of the living God the household of God. God is the Father, and we are the children. God cares for us as a father through office bearers who have shown themselves to be faithful ambassadors of the Heavenly Father by their loving management of their own households. God the Father is living in a covenant relationship with the family he adopted in Christ Jesus. And as his name dwelt in the house of the Old Testament called the temple, now the Holy Spirit dwells in the assembly of believers. God is among us. The assembly of believers that he calls the household of God. And just as the dimensions and the furniture of the temple were precisely defined because they revealed the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, so the believers and individuals who are the living stones of the church in whom God lives and dwells by his spirit, we need to have precise instruction about how to behave, how to conduct ourselves in order that we may continue to support and display the truth of the gospel. And in Christ, you, brother, you, sister, you are privileged to be a part of the universal household that will spend eternity in peace with God, the Creator, and with all who believe in Jesus Christ together with you. Praise the Lord. The awesomeness of this reality and this responsibility to live a certain way is, is highlighted by restating that this household of God is the church of the living God. Look at who you are for a moment and think about it. Church of the living God. The church is not a mere business interest. It's not a fellowship group or counseling firm run by a committee to serve your needs. But it is the place where the living and eternal God is acting and interacting with his beloved children that he bought with the blood of the Son of God. We don't gather together to just reflect on some of God's deeds in the past, but we confess that he is living and present among us. He is communicating life and salvation in Jesus Christ as we live our lives, as we walk on the journey of life, so that we may reflect his glory in all our lives. He guides us as a father to show love to one another like siblings are encouraged to take care of one another. Brothers and sisters are encouraged to take care of one another in a family. The living God is, is teaching and guiding us through the overseers and, and providing for us through the deacons. Every Sunday when we go to church, it is not like we are visiting a tomb of a relative that we love 
Are we reflecting on things that were done before? But we go to worship a God who is living and active in our lives. And so we receive different blessings in worship because it is our living God who walks beside us like an earthly parent walks with his child in all the different stages and challenges of growing up and experiencing life in a fallen world. Several families just recently celebrated a wedding. It was a time to to reflect on how God has been with that family, with the individuals, Roger and Jordan, and as they were growing up. It was a time to see as parents who were walking with them. Well, the living God is walking with us in all the different stages of our life, and as we gather and worship, that is when He he is with us, when we, we, we celebrate that, when we hear His instruction. He calls us to meet with him in corporate worship because he loves us, because he wants to instruct us and show us the way. And then you see that there are some very serious problems, misunderstanding perhaps, hardness in heart, when we don't desire to be fed and instructed by him, to praise him. Why would anyone choose to miss out an opportunity to meet with his or her living king and father who gives you the privilege of receiving heavenly comfort, encouragement, instruction on your journey of life? Think about that. Think about that maybe as parents. When a father or a mother tells their children that they will not be worshiping God on on this day of rest to celebrate their heavenly blessings, what are they withholding from their children, from themselves? We wouldn't think of denying our children the privilege of participating in a family banquet where they would be the guests of honor. Christ Jesus has given us the privilege of being guests of honor in the household of God as we celebrate the eternal banquet. We sang about that in Psalm 36, verse 2. Being a part of the household of God. To receive, to, to engage and experience His blessings with all our hearts. Brothers and sisters, let us embrace this privilege, especially the time when we have such freedom to worship Him. Because being a part of the church defines you. Defines your life. Because the living God is using you as a pillar and a buttress of the truth to display His magnificence in all the world using the imagery of a pillar standing upon a a buttress or a foundation to, to hold up a building, Paul moves from the analogy of the household with its father, stewards, and family members to look at the structure and the purpose of the church which is gathered by God to uphold and support the truth, the gospel. 
And we could see as we look at this comparison that the truth is, is bigger than the church. But the church is connected very closely to it because by its witness to the faith, through the lives of the members, you, brothers and sisters, you uphold, you reveal to the world who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you realize what God calls you to as a member of the church of the living God? No wonder why Paul is so concerned about how people who call themselves members of Christ's church behave said, if I don't get there in time, if I delay it, i, I got to write this down so you, you know how to behave. You are a pillar and buttress of the truth. No wonder he handed the blasphemers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, over to Satan. You see, brothers and sisters, the church, we, the assembly of believers, we are the go-to place for the truth in this fallen and dark world. Our proclamation will present the truth. Your lives will testify to the truth. The ambassadors of God the Father will protect the truth. The Christian religion, if I may use that, that reference to our faith, expressed through our godliness, through our piety, points the world to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we confess. And it is a profound confession. You see, in verse 16, the Holy Spirit is highlighting how special it is that people in the church want to be godly and faithful as members of the pillar and foundation of the truth is great is the mystery of godliness. In response to the pagan Ephesians, the Ephesian pagans who cried out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, Paul says great is the mystery of godliness. He explains that godliness is a mystery. And with this, he means something that is special, that is not very easy to explain. It goes against the nature of fallen man. And it was also not always known to everybody. He says, do you want to see something great? Look at our con profound confession about the living God. Look at how the Christian religion is different from any other religion in the world. See the amazing character of our confession, which is universally held by all believers all over the world without any doubt. Then follows a verse 16. It stands out from the context because of its form and structure. You can see even in the Bibles in front of you that it's separate, it stands out. It looks like a short creed or hymn that the Holy Spirit gave to the church to summarize, solidify, and preserve the content of the truth of the gospel and how it has been preserved. 
when you were singing hymn 24 this morning, you were joining your voices to the believers in Ephesus who received the same letter that we are hearing explained today. You see the size and the magnitude of the church and the common confession. There's many ways to divide this little creed and hymn, whether you divide it up in the six statements of praise between Christ's ministry on earth, the first three lines, and his ministry from heaven, the second three lines. Or if you choose to divide it into three stanzas of two sentences each that consecutively reveal, first of all, the revelation of Christ in the first two lines, and then the proclamation of Christ in the second two lines, the second set of two, or the, and then the reception of Christ in the, in the final two lines, the end result is, is very similar. Jesus' name is being glorified. What is the mystery of our godliness? How do you explain it? Why do we assemble together and, and walk every day with our covenant God? Is it because we have inherited this behavior as a family tradition? Or because we are actually morally superior to others around us? Or because we like the benefits that come with the, the social aspects of church membership? Is that the mystery of our godliness? Not at all. The household of the living God and the pillar and the foundation of the truth makes the profound confession that we love God and our neighbor because God first loved us. All praise to God. We are the church because of the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We love being a part of the church and serving God because we believe and we proclaim the truth of a very profound confession. The creed hymn starts, He was manifested in the flesh. The Father sent His Son to humble Himself, to take on our human nature. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. God became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. The Creator took on the nature of His creatures. He did this so that He could satisfy God's justice for us and in our place. He came to earth to die on a cross to bear the burden of God's wrath against our sins, the sins of all who believe in Him. This great miracle, an amazing display of, of love, and self-sacrifice, it fills our hearts with profound gratitude. It gives us a similar desire to humble ourselves, to love God and to love our neighbor. The incarnation is, is a part of the mystery of our godliness. God's love for us undeserving sinners. And his call to imitate his grace makes selfish and, and arrogant people uncomfortable. And so many of Jesus' fellow Jews, when he walked on the earth, they, they denied that he was the Son of God. They denied that he was the promised Messiah. And so the creed continues. He was vindicated by the Spirit. 
The word vindicated means that he was proven right. He was proven true. The miracles that Jesus performed while he was on earth confirmed the word that he preached. They revealed his perfect obedience, his understanding of God's plan, that the fullness of his love. But there could be no doubt that he was the perfect Messiah and the Son of God when he rose from the dead. The involvement of the Spirit, it says, vindicated by the Spirit. It reminds us of Romans 1, verse 4, which I'll read to you. Paul writes, and, uh, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans 8, verse 11, Paul writes, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We are godly because we have a Savior who was vindicated by the Spirit and therefore confirmed for all time that he had made the perfect payment for our sins. You see, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Christ's victory. God accepted his work for us and in our place. We sing, we, we celebrate with joy in our lives because no one can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen. Our Savior rose from the dead as proof that all our enemies have been defeated. And confident in the love of our victorious Savior, we, we love to follow him in all godliness. We follow him like, like soldiers who, who have a victorious captain. We walk around, we're smiling, we're confident, we have it all in him. He did it. The church confesses that he was seen by angels uses a word that is always used with reference to Jesus Christ when the Bible speaks about his resurrection appearances. Peter tells us that the angels longed to look at these things. Already in the Old Testament, they were longing to see what the, what the prophets were writing about. The things that we know, that we confess. We read of the angels about Abundant joy at the birth of, of Jesus Christ. The heavens poured out onto earth. The angels were singing with joy. Angels attended to Jesus in the desert when he was suffering. They were there at the moment of Christ's resurrection. And then again on the day of his ascension when he rose into heavens where, where the angels now bow down before him in constant praise and adoration as we read in Revelation 4 and 5. That's our Savior, seen by angels. And as we confess the truth of the gospel, we can do so with confidence because Jesus' earthly ministry was completed in triumph. It's, it's a triumphant story to be a Christian. It was not something that just had significance for Israel and the Jews, but it, was, it had cosmic, it had universal significance. 
God did all this work not in the sight of Israel, but in the sight of the angels in heaven. And so he leads us to lift our heads up to see Christ in all his glory. Look around at the amazing size and the scope of God's grace and mercy. We'll never see the church just as a building of a few people in a small city in northern Canada. We see it in its full scope. That's our confession. The church praises and confesses our Savior's continual work from heaven as he has proclaimed to all nations. He is king of all nations. He has proclaimed to all nations. In his previous letter to the Ephesians, Paul made much of the mystery of the gospel that is now revealed both to Jews and to Gentiles. He praised God for breaking down the dividing walls, making the church a church of all nations. The mystery of faith and godliness is that Jesus Christ is victorious and he is faithfully proclaimed by his church among the nations. We see it. We're a part of that proclamation as we're involved in the mission, the spreading of the gospel in our own city and in other places in the world. And as we think about all that the church is and all that Jesus Christ has done for us and in our place, we also feel that the strong desire to be a part of that ongoing proclamation of his name, Lord, help us to be pillars and foundations, buttresses of the truth. May the gospel of salvation blast out from us. As believers in the church, we are a part of a truth that is much larger than that which we see and know in our time and place. And then the promise comes as a result of the preaching. Our Lord Jesus is believed on in the world. The very fact that there is faith, the very fact that you have faith in Jesus Christ testifies to the truth that we uphold and sustain. The mystery of our godliness is that God has given us faith. He changes, he transforms us in amazing ways. Our faith makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. And so we rejoice to see that he was taken up to glory because that means that we also live with the hope of the resurrection from the dead and eternal life in the glory of heaven. And how we need this hope. This month, several of us have had to bury loved ones, beloved sisters, some who were older, some who were still very young. And then we have that hope, the hope of the resurrection. Christ Jesus was taken up in glory. And we believe that whoever believes in him will also spend eternity in glory with him. This is the mystery of our faith, the truth that we uphold and proclaim. Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. His work was accepted in our place and has universal significance. As pillar and foundation of the truth, we recognize that God is now working 
through us to proclaim that truth to our neighbors, to our colleagues, and to all nations so that more people may believe and be taken up in glory together with Christ. It's an amazing privilege, brothers and sisters, that you may be here this morning worshiping the living God. It's a beautiful opportunity to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, pay attention to your blessings and embrace them and receive them with joy in Jesus Christ. Amen.